When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Jewelry isn't a gift you give just once. It's a way to remind your loved one of a beautiful moment every time they see it. Blue Nile can help you find the gift that says how you feel and says it beautifully with expert guidance and a wide assortment of jewelry of the highest quality at the best price. Go to BlueNile.com and experience the convenience of shopping Blue Nile, the original online jeweler since 1999. That's BlueNile.com to find the perfect jewelry gift for any occasion. BlueNile.com. Welcome to another episode of Purple Insider. Matthew Collar here and returning to the show, very special guest from the Wide Left newsletter now. Arif Hassan has gone the independent route. It's been really good for you. And uh, I'm really happy to see that uh, your articles are now getting shared and everything else. And, and you really are rolling along in the newsletter life as I have been for a couple of years now. So I'm happy to see that and glad to have you back. What's going on, man? Ah, uh, not much, not much. We were talking a little bit of shop, uh, before, uh, you know, between two newsletter creators, secret stuff that we can't tell everybody. But, um, uh, you know, just very, very business. No, it's been going great. It's, uh, I, I get to write what I want, which is nuts. Like, what a, what a crazy life that I get to do that. Uh, and oh, what's crazier is that people want to read it. Don't know what's wrong with them, but I'll take it. Um, but yeah, no, it's, it's been going great. Uh, going independent, having my own schedule and stuff like that. So. Uh, yeah, I'm really happy. <laughs> yeah, it's been such an interesting career journey for you to go from uh, king of the blog boys to then working for The Athletic and then uh, Pro Football Network and now uh, going your own independent route. But for people like ourselves, uh, I think we have uh, been very, very lucky to be able to do it this way um, in order to call our own shots. So people should absolutely go check it out. It's really good. And um unedited work that is clean you could read the whole copy i very much respect that about you that uh sometimes when you don't have an editor working for you it could be yeah. a little bit messy but i have questions for you now uh, what's interesting with your newsletter is you still write a lot about the vikings because you have a ton of vikings fans who follow you and then other stuff that comes up in your mind but you've been following the vikings just as closely as you normally would have so i want to begin with this how do we go about fairly evaluating a front office and a head coach when they have a backup quarterback playing professional football for them? Even if that quarterback has had a little bit of success, uh, I came out of the Bears game, Arif, being like, I don't know, man, that's what happens. And then I look around the league and I'm like, Tim Boyle, and like, oh, look, the jet, you know, the Jets are by rule. The Jets have to have four quarterbacks play per year, and uh, they have now completed that accomplishment. But every team that is suffering from the backup quarterback disease this year with so many quarterbacks going down, I see a lot of criticism about their front office, their team building, their coaching. And I don't want to give free passes 
but I also think we have to be realistic. So how do, how would you go about evaluating the this last stretch for the Vikings with this in consideration? Yeah, I, I think that that's totally fair because it is kind of difficult because if you hold them to the standard of like them having the preferred starting quarterback, that's like tremendously unfair, but you can't, you know, preparing for a backup quarterback is part of the job, right? So you can't just uh, ignore that. So what you have to do is you have to set kind of what you think a reasonable expectation for a backup, or in this case, the fourth backup would be because again, or I guess third backup, fourth quarterback, because again, I mean, Nick Mullins was injured. Jaron Hall was injured on like the fourth play or whatever. Right. Um, and so they're in a situation where they were playing their fourth quarterback. So uh, set what you think a reasonable expectation for a backup quarterback level performance is. And we get a ton of backup quarterbacks playing football every year. We should have a good understanding of what that, what that is like. And at the upper end, it's as if you've got like the 25th best passing game is kind of a reasonable upper end of backup quarterback type play. And then, you know, obviously at the lower end, it's 32nd, right? Um, and once you kind of account for that and the kind of results that you can get from that, I think you could very confidently say that the Vikings knocked it out of the park when it comes to uh, figuring out a backup quarterback plan. Now, they didn't do that at the beginning of the year. That would have been preferable, right? But, you know, still seeing an opportunity, hey, you know, uh, the Cardinals are getting Kyler Murray back. And so Joshua Dobbs is going to be available. We've always liked him or whatever it is, Quazy always liked him, had some interactions with him in Cleveland or something like that. Um, you know, let's let's make a move. And, and being kind of aggressive enough to make that kind of move and being bold enough to be like, yeah, there's a quarterback on the roster who knows the playbook, but, you know, he we're not going to elevate him from the practice squad. Uh, we're going to have this guy who's been here for four days be the backup because we just think he's going to be better. And they were right. That's a very bold decision. They were right about that. Uh, and so I think that you just kind of figure out where a franchise is at any particular uh, spot, figure out kind of what the standardized circumstances of that would be, what the expectation should be, figure out how they performed against those expectations. And I think the front office in that circumstance did a really good job. And then the other elements that that have nothing to do with the backup quarterback, you know, like trying to figure out, you know, hey, they just extended Josh Metellus right before the season. What was that about? That's kind of crazy. Hey, great move. Oh, my God. That's a steal. That's incredible. Um, I can't believe they let go of Devlin Tomlinson. They let Zedaria Smith leave. Adam Thielen was a big part of the passing. What's going on there? Eric Hendricks, leader in the locker room. They let all of these guys go. Wow, fantastic moves, it turns out. So you evaluate kind of what you think, you know, is reasonable uh, in terms of like a set of moves and then compare them against that, you know, given those circumstances. And I think that once you do that, you come away thinking, hey, this front office is like, pretty good at, at what they're doing, which is, I don't think the expectation, uh, the understanding that people had coming into this offseason, right? Because people are very frustrated with the 2022 draft. Now we've got another year of data. We've got, you know, kind of more complete data, more sets of circumstances to evaluate them against. And I think that they're coming out looking pretty positive. Well, and three players, well, two drafted, one to UDFA, who have become above average starters instantly, which we don't even expect for, for, for first-year players in general. Uh, but let me circle back to the part about ranking 25th in passing, which I, I think what you laid out there is extremely reasonable as far as expectations go, which is here's what you would think would happen when you have to go to a backup. And I'll put it in a different frame, which would be I, I looked at all the quarterbacks for the last couple of years 
who were not the day one starter for the team. And then, you know, I shoved a few aside, like Kyler Murray, he's their starter. Right, yeah, so I was about to say, probably throw Kyler Murray out of the data set, yeah. Right, so things like that. Um, or some a quarter, starting quarterback was hurt, the backup had to play week one, or wh- whatever it was. I, I, I forget the process totally. But what I came out with was backups win about one out of every three games. They have about a 30% winning percentage when they start which I know QB wins and so forth, but not shockingly starting quarterbacks win way more football games. Uh, And I I always love when there's these Mahomes stats, they're like, you know, QB wins can't ever look at it. Like, but Mahomes has won 90 out of a hundred games and has had all these different (laughs) rosters and it means nothing. And you're like, does it mean nothing? So anyway, the point just being that your expectation for the rest of the season and the moment that Kirk gets hurt should be around. You win one out of every three games, the rest of the way. If you win more than that, then you've outdone that expectation. Now, that's all very logical. However, we are also talking about a lot of those backup quarterbacks play for teams that never had a chance anyway, including where Josh Dobbs came from, which is Arizona. So a backup is not going to win very many games with the Arizona Cardinals. This team is not like that. They are a team that has a really good offensive line great pass blocking. They have great wide receiving weapons and a coach who has been touted as a guy who can elevate the play of the quarterback. And for three weeks, he did that. And then for one week, he did not. And I I wouldn't be surprised if Kevin O'Connell at some point mentions trying to readjust the offense when he announces whoever is going to be the quarterback, maybe a little bit more than he did for Josh Dobbs against Chicago. But I think that we need to elevate that expectation still to say, all right, well, one of your big things is that you can elevate a quarterback who is starting level, but maybe not potentially great. I I expect stinkers from backup quarterbacks, but I also think that it's fair to wonder, all right, well, should, should it have been a lot better against Chicago with your game plan? And also, should you still make the playoffs? Should you be able to overcome this with all that you're given that is beyond what most teams have for their backup quarterbacks? Yeah, no, I, I think that that's fair too. Um, I think that we it, it's really tough to take aggregate data and apply it to specific situations because every circumstance ends up being different. And having that kind of uh, manipulation of what you think is like a reasonable expectation, I think is pretty appropriate. Um, but we also then have to ask additional questions like, should we when we're evaluating the front office and how they eva- and how they handle the backup quarterback situation, we know that right now, for example, that defense, uh, they're like eighth in points or whatever like that. And since week four, they've been like fifth, right? They're a, a great defense. The fact that that's the case is a credit both to Brian Flores, obviously, and then also, I think, to the front office for managing that defensive turnover extraordinarily well, right? Should we hold their excellent management of the defense against them when we evaluate the backup quarterback, right? So like that that ends up being kind of part of it too. Uh, and and in some ways, like, yes, because we're just trying to isolate what the backup quarterback's doing and we can we can have a bunch of different mini evaluations and then at the end come to a total evaluation and say, hey, they won two out of their four with the backup quarterback, 50%, but that defense is like really good. I mean, you got to win a game where your defense only allows 12 points, right? You know, that kind of stuff. Like you can do all of that. Um, And I think even once you account for all of that, I would say probably you're in a situation and we also have to take into account, hey, Justin Jefferson not available for any of these games. You got a rookie, you've got KJ Osborne, you've got, you know, one catch for Jalen Naylor, whatever that is, right? (laughs) Um, You've got all of that, right? Um, So TJ Hawkinson and Jordan Addison are your passing game, which is not awful, 
but it's not great. Like it's better than what the Panthers have, right? But it's it's not great. Um, plus the offense was designed around Justin Jefferson. So it has to be adjusted, right? So, okay. Um, you take all of that, probably you're winning 40, 45% of your games. And right now under Dobbs, it's 50. Uh, okay, great. That's good. I still think that you do have to account for the fact that Dobbs is the fourth quarterback, right? Like you didn't have Nick Mullins. That was the choice, right? And, um, and they made uh, you know, a decision that they didn't want Sean Mannion, they wanted Joshua Dobbs, full credit for that decision. I actually think that that is a much more difficult decision in the moment than it now seems four weeks later, right? Um, that's, that's, a, that's a crazy decision to make, and they were right to do it. Um, and so I, I think that all of those are, are part of that conversation, and I think that even when you adjust for the fact that, hey, that offensive line is right, like I think it's like third in pass block win rate, holy crap. Um, again, a credit to the front office, but again, you, you gotta, you gotta figure out where you want to make your adjustments and where you don't. Um, but Hey, third up third best offensive line, reasonable receiving core without Jefferson, um, in, in Sano defense, uh, in a lot of respects. Um, okay. Well, so, so what should a backup quarterback do? Okay. Is that, should we hold Joshua Dobbs to the standards of a normal backup? I don't probably not. So given all of that, I would say that they exceeded expectations in handling that particular element. But then all of the other adjustments we make are all credits to the front office as well. So if we want to come to a, uh, a not maybe not final, but complete evaluation of that front office, we would also include the fact that that defense was handled pretty well, despite some missteps like the Marcus Davenport signing. That offensive line was handled really well, um, despite kind of, you know, the weirdness with the Ezra Cleveland, Jer- uh, Dalton Reiser, whatever thing. Um, and hey, drafting receiver in the first round was inspired, it turns out. Who would have ever thought of it? Yeah. <laughs> Nobody kind here. Of, who, would, well, who would come up with a crazy idea like that? <laughs> Certainly not anybody with their own newsletters. Uh, well, Kevin O'Connell uh, gave himself credit a few times after some great Jordan Addison <laughs> games, and I, I don't blame him for that. Well, let's talk about the, the two sides of this because you're talking about the front office quite a bit there, and I want to circle back to that. But from the coaching perspective, can anything happen the rest of the way where you would change your mind. And I don't know exactly where you stand on Kevin O'Connell at this moment, where you would change your mind about the coach, because I think it would be very easy right now as we're having this very rational discussion. It's been a while since the Chicago game happened. And we're, I, I would probably say, I don't think so, because I think that if Dobbs struggles, then Dobbs look at his career record and look right, at how many yeah. teams he's played for. I mean, you had case Keenum and Jeff George show up here and do stuff, but even they were on a totally different level than Dobbs as a quarterback, like case Keenum had started a bunch of games in the NFL. So had Jeff George at just a different situation. And at the same time, you were given just enough, like good football nose candy against the New Orleans saints to just be like, Oh, it's another backup. Who's going to win. Um, but the, so there's a, a very rational part of me that says I wouldn't judge anything about the head coach, even if they go over five. But I also think if we got to the end of over five and that happened, uh, I might feel differently. And I think the fans would feel way differently because already some sort of seeds of doubt creeping in after feeling like, oh, wow, Kevin O'Connell has done this thing with Dobbs and now he should be coach of the year and, you know, they should give him an extension today and all those things. So how, how would, how would you feel about that? If they, if they did struggle the rest of the way badly, could it change your mind? Or if they were amazing the rest of the way, I guess that's too obvious, right? Then obviously you're going to think, right. well, I guess yeah. he's great. Um, yeah, but, guess but if rules. it, right. Yeah. Okay. So don't answer that part, but 
if it goes if it goes down the route of pure sadness. Yeah, I, I think it probably depends on how right that, that happens. If like a couple more injuries crop up, I'm just gonna give him a pass. If uh it's like a bunch of really bad game management stuff that's worth kind of some consideration. Um, but you know, it's, it's tough. Like one of the reasons I wanted to kind of hold on to Mike Zimmer for, for a lot longer than a bunch of people, uh, is because of an individual game coaching performance that playoff coaching in 2019 against the New Orleans Saints was, oh my God, it was one of the best coaching performances I've ever seen. Right. Uh, and I think that you could put that on the same level. Maybe it's not even, it's not even as good as what Kevin O'Connell did, when Joshua Dobbs came in after Jaron uh, Hall's concussion, that was as an element of individual coaching, one of the greatest things I've ever seen, right? That like deserves its own book, that game, right? It's incredible what he did there. And you get, you, he gets that game for the rest of the year in my mind. That was just astonishing what he did. Um, now, the fact that Joshua Dobbs seems to be worse, the more he knows the playbook, you know, that's, you know, hey, that will we'll, we can have that conversation and talk about how you know that impacts our evaluation of Kevin O'Connell as a coach. That's totally fine and fair, but you you got to hand it to him. You got to hand it to him that he did that, and it's really difficult for uh, me to move past that. Plus, the Kevin Seifert piece in ESPN about the Brian Flores defense, really great piece. I recommend that people read it. One of the elements in that piece that's like really interesting is that so Brian Flores, the premise of the piece is that Brian Flores is uh, pushing into a, uh, into the NFL a defense that the NFL has never run before, which you always kind of have to be skeptical of a claim like that because nothing new under the sun. But for in, all intents and purposes, it's a completely new defense. It's a radical shift from what uh, any defense in the NFL is doing right now and from what any NFL defense has done over the past 10 years. OK, so that is like a crazy thing. Right. But the thing that is important to note is that Brian Flores pitched this idea to Kevin O'Connell. He's like, hey, looking for a new defensive coordinator. Here is my nutso idea. I talked to the Pitt defensive or head coach, but you know he runs the defense, right? Uh, I talked to the Pitt head coach. Pitt, perennial powerhouse, right? <laughs> you know, I, 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 I talked to him, right? And I've got this idea for a crazy defense. And Kevin O'Connell had to either be like, look, man, this is the NFL. We're not we're not going up against air raid. We're not going up against like AAC teams, right? Like you get your one game against Clemson every year. That's fantastic. Right. You could have, you could have done that. And it would have been totally reasonable. And he's like, you know what? We're probably going to suck. So let's do something crazy because we might not suck. If we do something crazy, that's part of coaching. He's like, he's like having that conversation and hiring Brian Flores and giving him the go ahead to do stuff like that. Um, Making sure that you've got a, a defensive coaching staff because you can fire the rest of the defensive coaching staff. You fired that Donato. Make sure the rest of the defensive coaching staff is on board with Brian Flores. Like doing all that's part of coaching too. And so he gets credit for that. And so we can't just look at the end of the year and say, hey, he's an offensive coach. The offense didn't do as well as we expected. That's not good, especially those final games, even after you adjust for the back of the quarterback. Because the fact that the defense is doing well, yeah, it's a huge credit to Brian Flores. It's also a huge credit to Kevin O'Connell, the way that he handled that. So it would be very tough for me to come out of the final five games here and say, Hey, I've got some doubts about his quality as a coach. I, I'll probably adjust my expectations. If they go, Oh, and five, I'll probably say he's probably not as good as I think he is right now, currently at the moment, because that's new information. You got to incorporate new information, but I don't think it would ever drop him below like a top, the top eight coaches in the NFL right now. It is astounding, you know, all the stuff that they've been able to do. So, you know, I, I give them credit for that. Like, yeah, they're not as good in two-minute situations this year as last year. No coach could make them as good in two-minute situations this year as last year. It's an unreasonable standard, but worth talking about. But on the other side, 
they've got a top five defense. <laughs> yeah, which uh, I got to be honest, never would have dreamed in a million years when I looked at that roster that it would be as good as it is. And uh, later in the show, we're going to get to some of my predictions that I made before the season. And yeah. one of them was not that favorable to uh, this uh, defense. I sent you my predictions so you could mm -hmm. make fun of me and also praise some of my brilliance. But we'll get to that in a minute. So th this is a great point because think of it. I've started to think of it this way when it comes to coaching, because every game that I watch on Twitter, I see this coach is doing this wrong. This is coach. Th this coach doesn't know what he's doing, whatever else. And here's a good example, Mike McCarthy. Okay. Mike McCarthy is a oh, guy a that people, team. people love as a pinata. Every time he punts when he shouldn't, every time he mismanages a clock, it's just, let me get my Mike McCarthy beaten stick and boom. And yet they've had, top offenses almost every year since he's been there. They probably overachieved when Andy Dalton had to start. They overachieved when Cooper Rush had to start. And Dak Prescott is playing like an MVP. And everybody said, ah, he's getting rid of Kellen Moore. Oh, what? What a fool he is. And he's actually outperformed Kellen Moore by a million miles. And so I think that Mike McCarthy is a great coach. And I have always thought this. I mean, the way that he did battle with Mike Zimmer game after game, those two game playing against each other have been really good. But there's also been enough goofy stuff or in-game management things that we judge him on and go, he doesn't know what he's doing or the end of these ridiculous games in the playoffs that they've lost or playoff games. And I can just hear my audience wanting to crash their cars. If, if they're driving, listening to this, hearing me praise Mike McCarthy, but look at the record. I mean, it just, Oh, well he had Rogers. Well, he doesn't now. And Dak Prescott is doing even better. And so I think that we often judge coaches. Do you remember like the early nineties video games when they first came out with Madden, they had like four categories of a player. So it'd be like speed, catching, agility, break tackle. And that's like your whole player for a running back. Now you open up Madden and they have everything. They have like 700 categories, which is excessive and unnecessary for a video game. Not the point. This is, this is, <laughs> this is how we evaluate coaches versus what's really going on. We evaluate coaches on, do they punt on fourth down? Did their play calls work on a given week? Does it seem like the players don't hate them and otherly just vibes? But when really there are hundreds of things going on to evaluate a coach. And to me, the connection with the players, uh, what happened with making that change? I mean, you could also criticize like maybe not making the change earlier with Donatelle, but the management of people has been at such a high level, including yeah. of this quarterback who shows up here that, there is no way you could push me off of this. I'm, I would just throw my hands up and be like, Hey, look, I watched Trent Edwards and EJ Manuel and Brian Brom and Kelly Holcomb play for the bills. And guess what? <laughs> I could tell you those roads all lead to the same place, but it's going to be with the organizational stability under this coach. I am going to like give a lot more leeway to that because I believe in all those categories that you see when you're really studying a team, as opposed to just, Hey, I'm watching a game on Twitter and Mike McCarthy looks dumb. Yeah, I think um, a couple of years ago, and because I was I was on the Mike McCarthy is dumb train, and and I've changed my mind too. Um, but a couple of years ago, uh, this Twitter account I follow, Adam Harstad, he writes for Football Guys, you know, tweeted out, and I've tried to find this tweet before. Maybe he's deleted it. I can't find it anymore. But I know it was him who said it, and it stuck with me ever since. It was we tend to evaluate coaches on the easiest stuff that exists for us to evaluate, which also probably 
is the least important stuff for a coach to get right. And I'm not saying game management is not important, right? Obviously, it's important to be able to manage those final two minutes well. But like if you evaluated like all of these coaches on the fi- their ability to handle the final two minutes, the best coaches in NFL history, all bad at it. All, even Bill Belichick. A lot of people talk about Bill Belichick being good. No, he's bad at it, right? Pete Carroll's bad at it. Andy Reid, historically awful at it, like known for being bad at it, right? Um, and it turns out like making sure that your team is ahead by enough in order for you to not be in those two-minute situations or uh, making sure that when they're a less talented team to be good enough to be put into a two-minute situation, you know, that's that's good, right? Like, we know that Brandon Staley is not doing well because the Chargers should not be in those two-minute situations as often as they are. They're a better team than that, right? Uh, we also know that the Vikings punched way above their weight last year. They got into two-minute situations more often than they should have been as a credit to, you know, what that team was able to do, right? And Mike McCarthy and some of these other coaches that are bad at game management um, have put themselves into situations where they don't have to worry about those final two minutes because all that stuff matters a lot less. The stuff that's the easiest stuff for us to evaluate is also the stuff that happens to be probably the least important. The personnel management, the coaching management, the ability to put together game plans and offenses, keeping everybody on task. Like coaching is a lot of things. And when we talked to high school coaches, they don't talk about game man ever. They talk about like raising people and, and creating good environments for people, right? And then we kind of dispense of that when we go into the college level and then the professional level. Right. And college is unique because they also do recruiting. And that's an element of coaching that you don't really have to pay as much attention to. Obviously, creating an attractive environment for Ravens to come in. That's important. The Vikings have historically done very well at that. But just generally speaking, like there's stuff that we talk about sometimes with game planning and play calling that we sometimes have a good idea of. But like stuff like Joshua Dobbs felt comfortable enough to do X, Y and Z. That's enormous. That's so big. There's so many situations where a quarterback has had to start on a short week after arriving at a team where they have been disastrous. I'm not just talking about Josh Freeman, right? Carson Palmer coming to Oakland, right, is is usually the example I go to. And he did awful. I mean, he shows up. They ask him to start playing five days after he shows up. He does terrible. In fact, he does terrible for the rest of the season. Oakland's like, that's fine. We don't need him anymore. And Arizona puts together an MVP quality season because Bruce Arians is a good coach. Right. <laughs> like, like I, that's like, that's a big part of it is like creating these environments where players feel empowered, where coaches feel empowered, where you have, you know, the ability to either. And I personally, I prefer a collaborative decision-making process, but if you don't have a collaborative decision-making process, the decisions that you make are right. Right. And it's just like those things. And sometimes these decisions are stuff that we don't see like, Hey, we need to spend a little bit more time covering nutrition because I've noticed that our players are a little bit tired at the end of games. And maybe that's a nutrition thing. Maybe it's a sleep thing. Let's spend a little bit more time making sure that we prioritize that. We're most of the time we don't hear about that at all ever, unless it's like a crazy new coach who has got like smoothies, like Chip Kelly in Philadelphia. Right. Um, you know, like we don't, and now sleep science is uniform across the NFL, right? But like having, like noticing these things and making these small changes, there's a billion of them. I talked about just two of them with nutrition and sleep management, but there's a billion of them. Changing your schedule throughout the day, trying to find ways to keep players focused, optimizing the use of technology, running efficient meetings, figuring out who's running what meetings, figuring out when, when to have giant team meetings, all offense meetings, just quarterback meetings, whatever, right? All of those are decisions that coaches make that impact the quality of performance on Sunday. And we never talk about them. And they're all way more important 
then figuring out whether or not to call a timeout at two minutes and 20 seconds or two minutes and 10 seconds. Well, not at all because the two minute warning is right there. Like that's important. You got to know that, but it's not nearly as important as figuring out what a player's day is going to look like on Tuesday. Folks, is there any better way to spend the holidays than attending sports? Knowing you guys, I'm guessing the answer is no. Well, there is a way to get to all of the events that you want to get to during the holiday season with affordable tickets. My friends, you are going to want to check out the Game Time app. It's the fast and easy way to buy tickets to everything sports and also much, much more shows, concerts, all on game time. One of the cool parts about game time is that they have flash deals on last minute tickets and a low price guarantee, which means if you find something lower in the section or row, they will credit you 110%. You also get images of your seat location, which I love because those maps can be a little confusing. Buy tickets in seconds, have them arrive right to your phone it's great. Download the Game Time app, create an account, use the code INSIDER for $20 off your first purchase. Terms apply. Again, create an account and redeem code INSIDER for $20 off your first purchase. Download Game Time today. Last minute tickets, lowest price guaranteed. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. And some of those times, Mike McCarthy is hilarious when it comes to uh, botching those end of games things. Oh, yeah. And how how do coaches not understand the six points of death at the end of games when you're up when you're up by three? You see this all the time. You're up by three. You shouldn't kick a field goal if you have a chance to go for it, because that means the other team will play aggressively and try to score a touchdown and win the game against you, as opposed to checking up for a field goal, which they so often do. That's that's not the point. That's like the Ron Rivera special. I swear he's done this like a million times. But with Kevin O'Connell and all the stuff that you laid out, I think that he would score extremely high marks on. We saw that from the NFLPA survey. And I, I think where you really see it, too, is the assistant coaches that they've put together. Keenan McCardell could be an offensive coordinator. I, I think uh, Wes Phillips gets high marks from people on his contributions. They have a good quarterbacks coach. They, like, they've put together this really, really strong staff of people, which Mike Zimmer struggled with because nobody wanted to work for him at the end. That, that was like Mike Zimmer is a brilliant X's and O's guy. But at the end, when nobody will take a job in your building because you won't let them out of contracts or you'll, yeah. That's you know, punch one. him in the yeah. face on the way out. Like he did with, uh, you know, Kevin Stefanski when he tried to get another job and he called him disloyal and it was just like, uh, okay, well, like who wants this, right? Who wants this environment? I think environment matters a lot. However, this doesn't mean that Kevin O'Connell is perfect. What I would say though, is when we criticize play calling, that's a very dicey one. Cause I think there are totally insane play calls and game plans that teams bring in, whether it's against the Vikings or other teams, or I'm like, what, what was that supposed to be? Right. And that, that you can try to judge from the outside is some of the sheer logic, like Arthur Smith running a play. And I saw Mitch Schwartz tweeting about this, so I'm stealing it from him, but running a play at the goal line, that's a very difficult 
task for a center and sort of opens the door to like, if somebody penetrates, you're going to lose yardage and they just run it at the one yard line and get a safety. <laughs> like, okay, like that's, that's a play call. We could probably pitching the ball from your tight end to your quarterback. Let's just not. And say we did. I mean, the same thing goes for <laughs> throwing a pass to your quarterback or having Delvin cook throw a pass. Like, I think that there is, there has been, and there will be criticisms of Kevin O'Connell in a couple different ways. Number one, I'm not sure he understands what running the football is, how to do it, when to do it, whom to do it with. So that's like all of those things. I think that when it came to this game plan against the bears, he asked Josh Dobbs to be Kirk cousins. And that's not a good idea because they're so wildly different. And one is way, way better than the other one. Um, the other thing is, uh, that the, the whole idea of kind of getting too cute. Sometimes you've got a third and one, maybe just get a first down instead of trying to take a shot or, you know what I mean? Like there's things within a game, there's micro things where I go, I don't know, man. And, and that's the, the hard thing is because it's the most blatant. It's the most there. And I don't want to tell anybody don't believe what you saw. Like the, Hey, that pitch from TJ Hawkinson to Josh Dobbs, it was fine. It's not fine. That was insane. And like, but, uh, so I think that, I think as we're evaluating the whole thing, we need to take the global view, the bigger perspective. What is the man's philosophy? Throw the ball to his best players all the time. That sounds good. That sounds like that wins, create a, an environment, a workplace culture, all that sort of stuff, which they've done at an extremely high level. And it seems that the front office and coaching staff are on the same page. The defensive coordinator and the head coach are on the same page. You corrected a very bad error of hiring Ed Donatel. All of this is good. And being able to manage a backup quarterback who comes in in the last minute says a lot about your ability to be a quarterback whisperer. But I also think as we go forward, if some of the other stuff crops up all the time where, hey, this you know these game plans that maybe ask too much of the quarterback, not understanding how to create a run scheme, like all things like that, it will have its limitations. That doesn't mean that it like fire him, but it means that there are still things to improve on as he goes along. Yeah. And I think that like, what's interesting about this is that we can kind of compare and contrast that to like Mike Zimmer, right? Who's very good at some elements of good. I mean, obviously he was like a 600, as you would tell us, he was a 600 coach. Right. Um, and, and all of that, you know, fine. Right. He's, he's very good at some elements of coaching that are very important to football and that's great. But what ended up becoming a huge problem is him not being able to identify what his weaknesses were in an honest and, and frank manner. Right. Like sometimes we would ask, like, hey, you're really confident in this defense. It's like nine rookies. I I don't know, man. You, you I don't know if you should do the whole thing. And he's like, I've never had a bad defense. And it turns out, well, now you do. Right. OK, fine. Maybe. OK. But like the two minute stuff, like he hated ever being asked questions about clock management at the end of games. And it's like, bud, you're bad at it. We're going to ask you questions when you're bad at it, right? Like when you were down 24 points, Kirk Cousins told me that the way they think about that game is a three possession game. We'll play it like a three possession game. No, it's not. Score more points, right? (laughs) Like technically I get why you're saying that. Score more points. Yeah, have as many possessions as possible. That's crazy, right? Like, and that's that's a coaching error for the quarterback to act like that. Um, And he, he, at, at the end of it, he got so testy when people asked about this clock management stuff and he's like, we work on it. And it's like, okay, have you thought about the process by which you work on it? Maybe that needs to be changed. And he never you know, talked about that. Right. And I think that kind of being open to those kinds of questions 
is like really important. And I think that when we first asked, you know, Kevin O'Connell, like, hey, this defensive coordinator thing, I I don't know if that's working out. And he said the the thing publicly is like, I stand by my defensive coordinator, um, at least for the first couple of games we asked him. And then after that, he was like, we'll talk about stuff at the end of the season. Um, but it turns out he he went to Ed Donatello and he was like, this is not working. And I'm going to scout your defense like I'm an opposing offense. And we're going to see what we can do about it. And that didn't work out. But he but he tried to correct it. Right. And he was open to understanding that this wasn't working out. And I think that having that openness and changing and 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 having that adaptability, because you're always going to have weaknesses and trying to grow past them or cover them up or turn them into strengths, whatever it is you do with weaknesses that works best for you, that's important. And to what extent that we can find, he seems to have that. I'm not going to call him the best coach in the NFL. To me, that's probably Andy Reid, right? But I do think that he's got an opportunity to kind of move into that position, given his approach to a lot of these things, which I think is really fantastic. Um, but it also means being kind of open and honest about what those weaknesses are and, you know, making sure that he needs to make sure that he understands it. He needs to make sure that when he does receive feedback external to the organization, like from the press or whatever, right? Um, maybe his buddies when he talks to them in Mobile. Um, like, you know, taking that kind of honestly and and, and taking it on. And it seems like, based on what we see, it seems like he's open to that. So, like, maybe he'll hire a run game coordinator, right? That, sure, right? Because because the run blocking is mostly fine, right? So, oh, the, why is the run game bad? So he, he can have some conversations about that, right? Um, but like talking to some consultants who are really good at the elements of football that he's particularly not great at, right. Having a conversation about like, so he's, he doesn't like, because he's a young coach, people seem to expect him to go for it on fourth down more often than he does. Eh, that's not how that works. Um, so, so, you know, having a conversation with like people that are a little bit more kind of analytics forward, which exist in the organization about kind of being more aggressive on fourth down. And Hey, in the last couple of games, he was more aggressive in fourth down in situations where I wouldn't have gone for it. And I'm pretty aggressive about this stuff. And that's kind of interesting, right? You know, having conversations with people who, uh, have interesting criticism, maybe they're not correct. Maybe they're not better experts or anything, but have interesting criticisms of that that's going to be important as he kind of continues forward as a coach, because it's great being a top eight coach or whatever. Uh, it's better to be a top three coach. You should try to do that in my opinion. Yeah. I mean, so when we talk about uh, a lot of these things and trying to evaluate through like fourth down decisions and so forth, some of it is just purely taken off the table by having Josh Dobbs, your quarterback, where I saw at the end of the game, Oh, KOC lost this game because he wasn't aggressive. Well, he's quarterback through four picks. Like, I, I don't know. Like I, I wasn't in that moment. I had no expectation of, Oh, you got, you got to get a first down here. You got to start throwing the ball. I thought, well, Justin Fields, the other team's quarterback, run the ball three times, punt it away and hope your punter doesn't shank it into the stands at the 20 yard line. Like if he pins yeah, them back. Yeah. yeah. If we pins them back, do we think, but those decisions, if that's Kirk cousins, I'm like, bro, what are we doing here? I mean, you're just, you're like giving away the game by not being aggressive because Kirk Cousins is your quarterback. It's just a different, it's just, it's just a different evaluation for everything, which I think is, is the main subject here is like, how much do we have to change? But one area that I will watch closely because I have gotten the impression as you were just laying out there that O'Connell is very much on the self-aware side. I think that Zimmer, Zimmer lived in a different world. I think that Zimmer could... I think he could evaluate himself, but not change. 
So I feel like it would be like, it'd be like listening back to the podcast and say, Oh, I say a certain word all the time. I need to stop doing that. And then I just never do it. That would be Mike Zimmer saying, you know what? I need to connect with these players better. And then four weeks into the season. No, I don't think I will. (laughs) I I don't think I'm going to do that. (laughs) No, I, I, I should, but I won't. Uh, And with Kevin O'Connell, and I don't think, that was a great way to go about it with O'Connell. We almost have a little bit in real time here, an opportunity to see how much are you going to adapt to Josh Dobbs? If that's your quarterback, if it's Nick Mullins, just give me a white flag to wave around. Cause there's nothing that's happening this season. If it's him, uh, but how much, if it is Dobbs going forward, I'm assuming it's going to be, but I don't know. Uh, then, can you adapt to what Josh Dobbs can do for you? Because it's not like he's without talent. He was starting for a team. He's won some games here. But if you put the full Kirk Cousins, we're going to run our offense in there without Justin Jefferson for four straight games, uh, then you know, you're going to have some that look like Chicago because this guy can't do that. If he's able to adapt and adjust, get Dobbs on the move a little bit more, a little more from the design run perspective, a little bit more on the rollouts. I mean, look, what Matt LaFleur did for Jordan Love. Jordan Love is being treated like he's the next Brett Favre today, but got to be impressed with the number of quick screens, motions, quick throws, getting the ball out of his hands, really limiting Jordan Love's opportunities to turn the ball over. That's where I'm impressed. I'm impressed with Matt LaFleur more, almost more than I am than Jordan Love, though he played well. I want to be impressed by Kevin O'Connell's ability to adapt and adjust this thing to his quarterback on the fly coming out of the bye because I don't think he did the greatest job in Chicago or really Denver. Uh, I think he had like maybe expectations that were too high and didn't truncate the offense enough. Can you make that change? And if you can, I'll be impressed. If you can't, then I'll probably just blame Dobbs. I mean, I don't know. This, this is what's like so hard about this because yes. there's, yeah. I think there's, there. our reaction to losing football is always the same. Coach, quarterback, out of here. Like that's it. Or refs, <laughs> refs, coach, ah, quarterback, refs. refs. Yeah. And if you were in Minnesota for the last decade, guards. And then those were the only <laughs> options. Those were the only options. And so, uh, I, I think that this is a little bit tricky. Let me change the subject a little bit, uh, just because we were talking about the front office to start and how they sort of built this thing and evaluating the roster as well. How do you feel about the quarterback situation going forward? Because there is a really good argument to say, look at everything that they have laid out for you here. This team can compete going forward. They could certainly compete if Kirk Cousins came back and played the way he did. But how can you bet on him playing the way that he did after an Achilles injury and at his age? And then there's the draft, but you're playing yourself out of draft picks the more games that you win, right? And there's there's certainty now, it seems, almost in every other NFC North city, Caleb Williams is going to Chicago. And then Jared Goff, Jordan Love are going to be there. And you are left with a really good roster and not sure who your quarterback's going to be. This is another thing where it's like, you can get every question on the test, right? But if you fail the essay, you fail the test. I feel that way about this quarterback situation. You can get the UDFA linebacker, right? And the hybrid safety, right? And the left guard, for God's sake, they finally have one who can pass block. Oh my gosh. We don't make enough out of that. It's incredible. doesn't matter. doesn't matter if they fail what happens next. 
Yeah, I uh, I sympathize with how difficult this decision is going to be because I have no idea what to do or what they're going to do. Right? I think that the the it feels like the easy solution is the one that fans generally probably don't want, which is to extend Kirk Cousins. But you're right; the Achilles injury plays a pretty big role. Age plays a huge role. Uh, but Cousins is also playing like the best football I've ever seen him play. It was just nuts, and I don't want to be a prisoner of that, right? Like because we've seen a lot of quarterbacks like end the season or play right before injury where they played outstanding stuff. And then you're like, man, we can recapture that. And it turns out, no, you can't, that's not how life works. Um, you have to be cognizant of that. Right. But there's a, there's a kind of like a, and football is like this, but also humans are like this where like, if, if you let like cousins walk and he just does outstandingly somewhere else, uh, you're, you're going to feel like garbage, even if he probably wouldn't have replicated that, you know, in Minnesota, right? That's just kind of how it is, right? Like, I doubt that Stroud would have had the success in Carolina that he's having in Houston, right? Um, Houston, he's got pass catchers, right? Uh, and that offensive line's like, I mean, it's not great, but it's not bad, right? Um, so you, we can't like, we can't just be like, well, they were absolutely 100% wrong about Bryce Young, CJ Stroud. I mean, they, they probably were, we'll see. But like, you know, it's it's tough because if he does better elsewhere, it's just going to feel like an indictment on you, regardless of kind of how the circumstances would change that. Um, now we don't have, we're not going to have a great sample of Jaron Hall, probably. I mean, maybe he plays the final five games and that'll give us some clue. Right. Uh, and so given that, you know, given that they're probably not going to be in a good spot to draft somebody, given that they probably don't have the capital to move up in the draft, despite how quarterback rich this class is going to be um, probably, uh, what do you do? And, and I, I think that that's pretty tough. I think that you personally, I think the Vikings are probably cause they've always on this question specifically have tried to walk a tightrope and tried to split the difference and like, Hey, we're going to find some ways to build for the future, but we need to win now because that's what the ownership tells us. And that's how we're wired to be anyway, because ownership wouldn't have hired us if we weren't wired to win as many games as possible right now. So I think it's probably going to be a short-term extension for cousins again. And I think that they're probably going to draft a quarterback in the second round. I, I don't know. They have a second round pick this year. That sounds about right. Uh, I think so. Yeah. <laughs> Who's to say? But uh, I could look it up right now. I won't. But um, we could probably draft a quarterback in the second round, maybe like uh, Michael Penix or whatever, right? Uh, maybe he's a second round. I don't know. He's old, so I could see him in the second round. Um, and have Penix and, uh, and, and Hall compete, just like Malik Willis and Will Levis competed uh, underneath Ryan Tannehill. Right. And uh, and Will Levis is not playing amazing football, but he's playing encouraging football, I think. So that's something. Right. Um, and, and I think that that's probably the solution that they will hope for, depending on what the draft position is, you know, at the end of January. Right. And then they can begin those negotiations with the cousin with an understanding of what the draft position is, what the draft capital is, what they've got the ability to trade and stuff like that. Um, the one thing I'm not worried about is Justin Jefferson. I don't think I don't think whether or not they've got cousins there is going to make a difference to whether or not they sign him long-term. Oh, I agree. That's a money thing for yes. Justin Jefferson. Yep. Money, please. Uh, so with this situation in particular, there is a split the difference, which is to bring back Kirk and to draft quarterback. And then you have your, we'll call it the delayed Alex Smith um, because it should have been happening other times and wasn't. So yeah, yeah. yeah, there, there are, there are chess openings where it's like accelerated this or delayed that. And it's like, this is, it wasn't the accelerated. That's for sure. It was the delayed. I think that's the most likely scenario at this moment. There's maybe another one where they 
win four out of five and like what they've seen from Josh Dobbs and think that he can be that guy to be your bridge quarterback through. Uh, and that's why like normally you would say you can't judge anything on the final five games. And yet it still feels like there's no way not to um, because yeah. we're going to see them. We're going to have that information. We're going to know. I, I think that they have to decide whether they really want to try to swing to be great. I, that that's, that is the big question here because I think what a team like this could look at is the New York Jets and go, you know what? If we draft the guy that's wrong, we're going to waste all this great roster building that we've done. And and it's going to be Zach Wilson just tanking our careers and get us all fired. Um, but or apparently, also, according to today, refusing to. <laughs> to why to not? Play. When we when we talk about Jamarcus Russell, there's a lot of. <laughs> There's a lot of comps that come up for Jamarcus Russell. I think Zach Wilson is the most Jamarcus Russell quarterback who's come out. Like just from day one, this guy was not into this. This yeah. was not yeah, he's, he's not built for this. Nope. His brain is not wired to be a hardworking football guy. Uh, he's apparently quite selfish. Uh, you know, it seems like, uh, and not just because he's refusing to play. I don't know what that's about. Um, but just like he would just consistently not take the blame for how bad the offense was and the defense just got mad at him which uh, for context you there's a lot of teams with bad quarterbacks and the defense is usually not vocally mad about that guy like that it they're like that's our guy he's the best quarterback in the nfl it's like the guy is like 20th in passer rating like relax no he's the best quarterback in the nfl okay great i'm glad that you're behind this guy the jets are not (laughs) (laughs) right no they they made it quite clear and something something actually slipped through the radar that someone brought up and this is not to go on too much of a tangent about Zach Wilson, but that he was not a captain at BYU. And I think that makes you undraftable to me. If you're a quarterback, just like, I can't do it. I can't do it. If, if there, if your coaches and team aren't even putting in college, the leadership on your shoulders, you're just not draftable to me. In fairness, in NFL, he was like 19 and his teammates were all like 27. <laughs> doesn't Well, that's true. They all have like four kids. It still doesn't matter. Cause he was going to have to do that in the NFL. Yeah. Um, yeah, I think that if you want to take a swing to be great, there's also a chance it goes wrong, and then you end up uh, with a lot of problems. But the thing is about that, even if you if you have a solid foundation, like think of it as a race that you're running where the Vikings track is smooth and other teams tracks with bad lines, the Giants, bad receivers, all that stuff, that's like having a moat that you have to jump over that has alligators. You're doing steeplechase. <laughs> right, right. <laughs> right yeah. You're just running. Yeah. So so if Dobbs can win games, then it should give them confidence that like, okay, there are a lot better quarterbacks than Dobbs. Yeah. That, if Dobbs can win games here, like, you know, what if we got a good quarterback in? That's crazy. Imagine. Yeah. Right. And so then you sort of start talking about, well, you know, can we get a bridge quarterback? Can we draft one? Are our odds better at this to actually go somewhere? Salary cap, all that conversation. And so it will be interesting to see. Before we uh, switch over to my great and terrible predictions that I wanted you to look at and heckle me or praise me, uh, you have a tough time doing one of those two things sometimes. But um, <laughs> uh, I wanted to ask, how, like, how do you think this goes? What, what do you think happens here the rest of the way? Uh, I think the Vikings uh, win two out of the five, make the playoffs fizzle out against either like the Cowboys, Eagles, or 49ers, depending, probably the 49ers. Um, And uh, we start having very unfair conversations about Kevin O'Connell's ability to win in the playoffs. (laughs) I think that's bad. 
See, I, I was going to go with same for the two out of five, uh, but I think that they missed the playoffs because the Rams are going to win one more game than them. That's oh, that, that that's how I, look, I think the Rams. I was, I was actually going to bring up uh, speaking of like good coaches, Sean McVay. When you talked about how like people didn't want to work for Mike Zimmer because uh, one of the reasons is because like if you got good enough to be hired, he wouldn't let you do that. Um, which they it was so bad the NFL passed a rule about that. Like that's crazy, right? Uh, Sean McVay has openly said, yeah, I, I want, I want to lose as many coaches as possible because that means I'm developing coaches. Well, um, oh no, I don't have a coaching staff. I better train a new one in and they'll do pretty well because I'm good at this. Like that's just as an example, sign of a good coach. Um, but yeah, what are you doing with the Rams right now? Um, a, another sign of a good coach, but B, uh, pretty threatening to the Vikings. Also the Packers pretty threatening to the Vikings. So we'll see. But I do think if, if, if the Vikings win like against the Packers and the Lions, which is looking increasingly unlikely, but two out of those three games, those two are the most important, obviously. But like it turns out, like based off of I think it's the NYT simulator, um, it turns out like their odds of making the playoffs if they win the two games, like the next two games, which I think are both AFC opponents, um, they win the next two games. Because, yeah, it's the Bengals, right? The Bengals and the Raiders. They win the next two games. Their odds of making the playoffs are like 58%. It improves their odds like by like three percentage points. Uh, if they win against the Lions at the Packers, it moves up to like 85%. Like it's crazy. Just two out of those three games. So obviously it's going to matter, but obviously those opponents are the ones they're competing directly with uh, in the division that hold tiebreakers because it's a conference opponent, hold tiebreakers because it's a division opponent. And also the Packers are directly competing with them for a wild card spot. So uh, obviously, it's going to matter the most. Uh, the Lions are a very weird team. I don't know how to. I mean, they just boat raced like this last game, and then like two games ago, it's just like, hey, who are these Lions, man? They're not very good at all. Um, but yeah, just I, I think that it's going to be two of the next three. I think it's probably the next two, two of the next five, probably the next two. It may not matter. I still think they probably make the playoffs because I still, and maybe I just hold on to takes for too long. I still am not a Jordan Love dude. I think I think there's going to, I think something's going to fall apart there um in the next couple of games and the Packers are going to take a misstep here or there and that's going to give the Vikings an opening folks I hope you've enjoyed listening to us talk about prize picks this year but if you've missed it here's how it works you go to prizepicks.com and it is simple you pick either more or less between two and six player stat projections and that's it now you're playing so if it's x number of yards for a quarterback you just decide are they going to throw for more or less than that number of yards but it works with lots of different options receiving yards touchdowns even field goals all sorts of sports as well prizepicks.com slash purple go there use the code purple for the first deposit match up to $100 one of the reasons I like prize picks it is very simple to use you see how we do it on the show real quick and easy and then we talk about our picks and also not expensive either you can turn ten dollars into 250 by nailing just a couple of picks so go to prizepicks.com purple the code purple daily fantasy sports made easy yeah I, I think um the next two games are really what it comes down to i mean if you can't beat two teams with backup quarterbacks on the road, then you don't deserve to be in the playoffs and you probably won't make it. You have to really beat both of them in order for anybody to meet, uh, to be convinced. Okay. I sent you, I did in July, July 12th, I believe was the day that I published this. I wrote out 50, what I called bold 50. predictions. Yeah. Some of them. Yeah. There were two parts. Uh, hopefully you saw I, I got both. Uh, okay. All right. So I wrote marveling 50. at how many there were. It's July. 
a time to predict. And uh, some of them turned out to be really right on. And then some of them turned out to be not so great. So I was hoping that you would highlight the best and worst of my bold predictions going back before the season. Yeah, yeah, sure. I, w- I went through them. Um, and uh, and what you said, you got to you got to dare to be great and dare to be dare to be awful. And I think you did that. I think these predictions were appropriately bold and some of them were truly awful. But let's talk about the good ones first. Um I just real quick, get some out of the way. Alexander Madison will gain 880 yards and catch 40 passes. He's on pace right now for 840 and 38 and a half passes. Okay. That's fire. That's fire. That's okay. Got it. Uh, Fantasy people. Maybe I'm in the wrong spot. There's a lot. There's a big industry for fantasy. That's, that's, that's the one area of sports journalism that may be growing. (laughs) Uh, Caleb Evans will be considered the best of the 2022 Vikings draft class. Now I don't think that that was that bold, but he barely played. You're That's getting bold. it. It's okay. okay. Yeah. It's pretty good. That's pretty good. I yeah. mean, because you, I think what you would have said after last year is nobody's going to be the best person. Of our, like, <laughs> yeah. does that, does well, anybody maybe it's not me? Because I also kind of had that hot take. So maybe I was just mm. like, yeah, obviously that was true. Look, <laughs> it, what I thought going in the season, if a guy's standing on the sideline and catches an errant pass, he might be the best member of the 2022 draft <laughs> class. But uh, Ingram has improved. Having a starting guard that's average is a pretty good draft pick yeah, at pretty, this yeah. point if he does that going forward. Especially but, in the second, yeah. Yeah, but Evans Evans is taking a big step. And for the fourth round pick, uh, that's pretty good. So, all yeah. right, good job, me. So those are, those are the two I want to get out of the way really quickly. And then here are the four that are like genuinely like, wow, that was pretty impressive. Uh, two of them involve quarterback starting. So Aiden O'Connell will start with the Vikings face the Las Vegas Raiders. Uh, I I, fa- I forgot to read the reasoning on that one. I assume it's because Jimmy Garoppolo is injury prone. But yeah, call. It, it was. Well, I, I figured a few things. I figured Josh McDaniels will not win games for them. I didn't know he'd be fired, but I, they're not going to win. Uh, Jimmy Garoppolo gets hurt all the time. There's no way Brian Hoyer can play football anymore. And so it will be this guy. Also, I kind of low key had a thing for Aiden O'Connell. I thought like like, a lot. Yeah. Yeah. I watched him in college and I was just like, maybe this is like my mid round person who I think is decent. And uh, so I thought, yeah, all right. Uh, But that, that one's a home run to have picked exactly which third string quarterback was going to play the Vikings late in the schedule. Totally nailed that. Yeah, and he hadn't even made the team yet. So, uh, a killer because he's a third stringer, right? Um, Will Levis will be starting in Tennessee by week eight. He started week seven, and he's held on to that starting job. So, uh, incredible, uh, especially because we didn't know who was going to win the backup quarterback competition between him and Malik Willis. Malik Willis had already been there for a year, and a bunch of draft guys really liked Malik Willis, and they kind of didn't like Will Levis even though I think if they had compared the two, they probably would have ranked Levis ahead. Still, those vibes go into it, right? Uh, and then Ryan Tannehill was the starter. And just two, three years ago, he was playing outstanding football. So uh, I think a good good one there. So I think those two are very impressive. Um, the Vikings offensive line will improve in pass blocking to the top 15. Uh, they're third in pass block win rate right now, but they will rank just outside the top 10 in scoring. They are 15th. Now, I don't think you anticipated a quarterback injury, but we'll take it. We take these wins. Um, the Texans will be in the playoff hunt in the final two weeks of the season. You may have undershot it. They might just have it locked up by then, but yeah, I'm going to count yeah. that as a win. You know, that's, Yeah, that that's is great. a win. I was well, I was buying a few things. D'Amico Ryans, finally getting a yeah. real coach. Serious head I coach, mean, yeah. They, they were hiring some serious tank coaches before. Dudes who, like, I never even heard of. And, I mean... David Cully is a, I mean, where is he from? Yeah. Right. So, uh, they, they get a coach he, who knows what he's doing. So bad. People were accusing them of racist for hiring black. 
Like we were just like, okay, they you were. just set up another Paul guy. That's ridiculous. <laughs> and they did. And so, <laughs> and but but D'Amico Ryan's man, that guy was legit in San Francisco with his defense, uh, and has been around the NFL a really long time. Has really fought his way up the coaching ranks, and and like I think that speaks well to someone's odds. But also, if you were paying attention to the Texans, which you shouldn't have been in any way, shape, or form, but they had sort of quietly put together some players over the years. And I'm just, you know, like Laramie Tunsil and that off season, they just got like Jimmy Ward and they brought in Robert Woods who not a great receiver, but Hey, he's kind of a pseudo wide receivers coach. And that turned out to matter a lot, you know, (laughs) and you know, it's Uh, it's building right. And that draft class from the previous year wasn't bad with like Derek Stingley and Jalen Petre. Like there's like, there's like players. Yeah. They've been uh, getting a lot of draft picks. They spent their cap space on average players, but average players are really good. So I thought, okay, well, and then CJ Stroud to me was easily the most fit and ready to play day one and be good. Despite his S2 score? How? how? (laughs) No, no, no. See, there is something we have to, when we snark about this, we have to be accurate. His leaked S2 score. His leaked S2 score, which is, by the way, and they, I think they're correct to point this out when they defend themselves, is an aggregate score, which is not what they say you should use to make decisions about evaluation. And also, the score is more about how a guy plays than it is that a guy is good or bad. But it is fun to snark about. Oh, I love snarking about it. Yes, yeah. that uh, it's it's almost like you shouldn't believe everything that comes out during draft season. I can't That's believe not- it. Uh, yes. Beautiful lies is what draft season is. Uh, um, but at least all the analysts get it right. As you mentioned with Malik Willis going at the top of the draft and so did Will Levis. Yeah. Anyway, uh, that I'd rather join the fantasy industry than the draft industry, but that's not the point. So, uh, I, I've got, the, I've got the best gig oh, in draft analysis, okay, by the way, which but, is just to tell you what other people think. Yeah. Oh yes. Well, the consensus board, it does come up uh, all the time now. And you know, there, there have been people in the league who have said to me, I wonder what would happen if we just drafted off that consensus board. I'm like, I know what would happen. You'd probably draft better. (laughs) (laughs) It seems to be. (laughs) That's what it said. That's what all the data says. Now I will say something about that because I'm delaying you getting to my bad predictions. Um, Something about that is, Someone explained to me kind of how this works with draft boards and teams is every year Dallas accidentally leaks their draft board. And I'm, I'm convinced it's not even the real draft board at this point. They've just made it a social media bit. But um, when it comes to the draft board, teams only put on their board, the players they believe will fit with their offense and their defense and their culture and their, their length weight, height, size, like they have very specific things, which throws out a lot of players. So sometimes someone will succeed on another team and you'll be like, they missed on that guy Mm -hmm. when you could see why they didn't make that draft pick. Now you could say, well, shouldn't you just adjust? And that's probably valid, but, (laughs) but it can be hard. You need guys who fit what you do in, in order to draft them. So sometimes someone fits what someone else does and that's why they're successful. So it makes it even harder to just draft off the consensus board. I also think that like there's, there's maybe a hundred players that people, I believe people actually watch. And then I'm not sure how you could have time to watch the rest. There's 365 days in the year. I mean, if there's draft analysts who are watching the 400th player, just bless you. I mean, but I don't know how you would do that uh, in any sort of depth. So I feel like it has a 
like the top hundred would be really strong. If the, if, if the draft analysts don't like players in the top hundred. Okay. But if you're like at two fifty, I think that the can, it's like the team had something in mind for that player. That's why they picked them. You know what I mean? Yeah, no, I, I, I think that that's fair. I should also like, so to, to add on to that point before we move on um, to your awful takes uh, <laughs> is, is uh, sometimes like they're very specific about why a player is off the board. So for example, like I, I know there's an example of a case where the Miami Dolphins really loved a player and they couldn't put him on their board because he had too many friends in Miami that were bad influences. And they were like, if we were in another city, we'd draft this dude, right? Because when he's not with those people, he's actually, he's a good character guy, right? But when he's with those people, he's unreliable. So we can't bring him to Miami. And it's like, oh, there's like, no, like we can't account for that in a consensus board at all, ever, right? That's, that's crazy. Um, right. But that's very specific, right? Also, like, um, and I think the Patriots are bad at drafting, so this is, like, not a great example. But it is important to note that y- very often the Patriots have the smallest draft board in the NFL. There are drafts where they've come in with 70-odd, 75 players, right? Which is why you get situations where they draft Cole Strange in the first round. You're like, what What are you doing? He said, well, they didn't have anybody graded with a first-round pick. This was their top guy on the, like, genuinely the top guy on their board. So they drafted him in the first round, right? Uh, and like, and, and and it changes. Like, the, I think generally speaking, the approximate amount that you generally get is about 150 draftable players. Which is not to say that's you know, because in the seventh round they start drafting priority undrafted free agents and stuff like that. Um, and sometimes it's like weird stuff. Like when I think it was the Panthers drafted Tommy Sweeney because I think they were the ones that drafted him. Um, they wanted to sign him as a priority free agent. But he had agreed basically to terms with the New Orleans Saints because they wanted him to be the next uh, Taysom Hill. And and so he had agreed during the draft to sign an undrafted free agent contract with the Saints. Well, the Panthers heard about that and they were like, no, he didn't. And they drafted him. <laughs> like, like, it's just like the, stuff like that happens. Right. Or you need a special teamer. The consensus board doesn't really do that. They don't they're not like, hey, Najee Thompson is really good at this. Stuff, right. 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 Yeah. Um, so that, that's, that's, uh, that's something to keep in mind. Okay. Your worst takes, but first quick honorable mentions of good takes. Lamar Jackson will be an MVP finalist. Anthony Richardson will run for a thousand yards. If he had been healthy, maybe he would have TJ Hawkinson will rank number two in NFL tight end targets. He's number one and non-defensive lineman or edge rush will rank top three in Viking sacks. I don't think that's bold. That's why it's an honorable mention, but Harrison Smith ranked third. Okay. Worst takes. We'll start with the Vikings ones. Lewis seen plays more than 500 snaps. Now he has not played. A snap, unless you count special teams, which I don't. He has not played a snap. Theo Jackson has played snaps. And, and in your description, you were like, hey, this, so because there was another one where you're like, hey, the minicamp depth chart says this. We'll, we'll get to that one. Um, but you can't always trust it. I'm not going to trust that Lewis Seen is as low on the because he's so talented and you've got a new defensive coordinator. And guess what? Zero snaps. So that was an awful take. Right, was. The one the one where you paid attention to the minicamp depth chart and were wrong to. KJ Osborne will have more catches than Jordan Addison. Addison is 54, oh. KJ Osborne is 36. All I want to say, neither one of these things are over yet. Lewis Seen could press for 500 snaps. I that is I don't even <laughs> think that's possible. No, I don't think there are 500 isn't. snaps left. There isn't. Uh no. Unless he plays on I, offense. I will say though that when I wrote this, this was before I was having a conversation with Jordan Hicks. And he was like, dude, Josh Metellus is for real, like really, really for real. 
And I was like, okay, I, I think I need to take that more seriously. And then when he couldn't get reps on first team uh, in training camp to start, it was like right off the beginning, like right from the beginning of training camp, that take was over immediately. Yeah. This, and again, this I was think in July, but yeah. If, if you're a guy, if you are a guy in Brian Flores's defense that cannot find a role, it's really not good. So like yeah. that, yeah. I, I had no idea of the level of not good. And so that's, you know, the excuse there, uh, as far as KJ Osborne, the reason it actually still could happen is just health in general. I mean, like that, that, that was part of my evaluation is that Addison had been banged up. He had like gotten hurt at the combine and then got banged up in rookie mini camp, which camp. Yeah. I've never even heard of before. I've never heard of a guy getting banged There's up. There's no contact. How are you getting hurt? They yeah. do anything. And so I thought, well, Addison should be better because of his talent, but Osborne has a pretty pristine health record. That was the part of it there. And yeah, that's been a miss. Also, Osborne didn't step up the way that I thought he would. Yeah, and that's fair. And this is the only rookie take I put on here, right? Because I'm not going to hold you like accountable for like Bryce Young playing. Who cares? Um, all right. Uh, despite new kickoff rules, Kenny Wangwu will gain a thousand yards returning. Now, hey, if you wanted to take into account injury likelihood, this is probably where he should have done it. He has 79 yards returning. Um, so... And this one, to me, I put it on here because it's like, you probably could have anticipated that total returns would go down, that Kenny Wangwu wouldn't be available, uh, and so on. So there's that. That was uh, I thought, pretty, what I, pretty awful. Yeah. What I thought is that they would be aggressive. Like, I thought that Matt Daniels would be like, okay, the whole world is going to these fair catches, which they really haven't. Mostly it's just kicked out of the back of the end zone. But I'm going to go aggressive. I'm going to have... But then Wangwu gets hurt, and, you know, I don't know that he's ever been 100% right. So, yeah, yep, definitely hey, missed that, on that one. But that return that he had last week, that was pretty good. <laughs> Again, you could still get to a thousand. You're saying these are wrong? They're not wrong. Not yet. <laughs> uh, Mac Jones will be considered the Patriots franchise quarterback by the end of 2023. I think that one's wrong now. <laughs> That's a bad one. That's a real bad one. Uh, my, I was blaming Matt Patricia. I forgot about I, wide receivers and offensive line. <laughs> That's as far. That is as far off as you can be. Yep. Yep. Mac That's Jones got off. benched three times and then they were like, all right, enough of this. He's just not going to start now. <laughs> Mac Jones is Ryan Tannehill at the end of Adam Gase. The guy can play, but not with that situation. Yeah. Um, and it's really funny is that the, so my understanding is that the only reason that Bailey Zappi didn't start earlier is because uh, again, this is just like my understanding. I could be wrong about this. Bill O'Brien is like not super convinced that Bailey Zappi can run an NFL offense, um, which, you know, Mac Jones can't. So there's only the possibility, but that was, that, that's my understanding why it took so long. So it probably should have happened sooner. Uh, the 49ers will make the playoffs and still won't know who their quarterback is for 2024. I think they know. Very wrong. Yeah. Very yeah. wrong. Yep. No, I wasn't sure that Brock Purdy would be more than a flash in the pan. And he is way more than that. He's a great quarterback. Uh, Brian Flores' defense will be improved, but won't crack the top 18 in points against. They're currently hey, eight. Look. Eight. Season's Ken, not over. The head coach. Oh, yeah. Two games <laughs> against the Lions. Also, the head coach said the same thing the other day. I mean, the, Kevin O'Connell said, I didn't expect it to be this good. I'm like, same. <laughs> Usually you don't get that from a head coach being like, yeah, I didn't think our defense was going to be this good, but yeah, you know, I'll take it. I'll take it. So, I, but I did think just logically speaking, Flores would have better ideas than Donatello and they would improve. So, yeah, no, I was, I'll be honest. I, I was in the same boat, but you wrote it down and I didn't. So that's true. Egg on your face of those who left Dalvin Tomlinson will have the highest PFF grade. 
So Zadarius Smith, Eric Kendricks, and Adam Thielen, all of higher PFF grades. The only player you mentioned uh, has almost the exact same PFF grade as Dalvin Tomlinson, Dalvin Cook. And by that time, he had not signed with a team yet. They are like wow. four points apart in PFF grade. Uh, 59 to 54, 58 to 54, something like that. A long-held belief for me. It's not always about the moves you make. It's about the moves you don't make. And if they hit it, Jonathan Bullard is doing what Delvin Tomlinson did for them. And if they had signed Delvin Tomlinson to a $18 million a year contract or whatever Cleveland gave him, that would look completely silly right now. It would just look like a terrible deal. And so that was... I, I was wrong. I mean, I thought Tomlinson was an absolute monster for the Vikings last year. Me too. And, I thought he was yeah. a killer. Yeah. I was like, I cannot believe they're just letting him walk. They don't have anybody on the inside. And to my credit, they still kind of don't. But Dalvin Tomlinson would not have solved that problem. <laughs> no, he would not have. No, it would have been the same. Uh, this I didn't know if I wanted to conclude this in the worst takes, but I might as well. The Packers and Bears will miss the playoffs, but Jordan Love and Justin Fields will do just enough to earn at least one more year from their respective clubs. Love is doing more than just enough and Fields is doing way less than just enough. So you missed in both directions on that one. Okay. And the Packers well, may make the playoffs. they very well could miss the playoffs. Uh, and Jordan, if they miss the playoffs, but Jordan Love plays well. So again, like uh, not, not completely finished here. Again, I, uh, I was on the fence about including this, but I think you're wrong. There is somebody, okay, it's fair enough, but there is there is a couple people that I follow who are from Chicago who are like curating the 17 games, like last 17 games of fields and being like, see, it's pretty good. And you're like, dude, come on. What are we doing here? Yeah. What are we doing here? What are we doing here? Uh, they're, they're, okay, I can't imagine the Bears with like the number one pick and the number four pick not grabbing a quarterback. Ever. No. That's crazy. <laughs> They, uh, they they take a strong safety and they're like, yeah, we just need a little more box safety. Yeah, just you know, we not we need Jaquan Brisker, but again, yeah. <laughs> um, and then the final one, the Saints will run away, run away with the NFC South by 3.0 games. Uh, so first of all, Derek Carr got booed off the field after he got hurt. Jameis Winston was applauded onto the field. First time I've ever seen that. The Saints are third in the standings after tiebreakers behind the Buccaneers, who they have the same record with, and the Falcons, who have one more win than them somehow. I understand why you did not have faith in the Falcons, uh, but you did not account for the fact that they signed every defensive player in free agency. They did. Uh, so, uh, yeah, so that one really, to me, it's less about not having faith in the Buccaneers and Falcons. I totally get that. It's more about having faith in Derek Carr and Dennis Allen and the Saints. Mm, mm -mm. what what i thought was going to happen is that they would win nine games and everybody else would win six <laughs> that's, <laughs> not, that's that's what i that's what i thought but uh it was foreseeable that signing Derek Carr would be bad i did not think it would be this bad i don't know if anyone anticipated it being like a complete i mean th this is uh it almost goes back to jim everett being signed by the new orleans saints almost way back wow that's that is way back but they were expecting to get a franchise quarterback in jim everett and i think he won like seven games was the most he ever got with the saints so it didn't work out there but yeah this is um well Good actually jim, the comma chris everett yeah i mean yeah i know the other day the other day it looked like uh heath schuler though or um danny warfel instead you gotta be you gotta yeah, wow danny warfel good it, lord it, it looked like the Mike Ditka era at the start of that game against the Lions. So, <laughs> okay, we got yeah. some Chris Leak stuff going on here. Let's go. 
we really, we really held up the win over the saints. And it's so funny how like some things can just look different two weeks later. And it's like, wow, that was a good win. That's a pretty legit team. Now you're like, Oh, well, yeah. you know, you don't have to give it back. <laughs> yeah. I, I think the thing for me with Derek Carr is that like the two best receivers, cause we didn't expect Michael Thomas to be any good when he came back and turns out, Nope. Uh, but the two best receivers were like Rashid Shahid and Chris Olave, who were both deep threats. And it's Derek Carr. It's like, figure that out. You know, it's like everyone's like Alvin Kamara is going to make hay in fantasy because Derek Carr loves to dump it off. And it's like, I agree. And Alvin Kamara is doing really well in fantasy. Um, I, I don't know why you thought that that would mean winning games. Though. <laughs> no. Yeah, that's that's completely right. Well, that's what happens when you desperately uh, try to sign a quarterback to more than they're worth. So keep that in mind for the future Vikings. Um, anyway, well, this was fun, Arif. I'm glad that uh, we went through some of those predictions that uh, were, you know, well, I'll just call it hot and cold. I'd say I split the difference between yeah. ones that worked out and uh, did not. The wide left newsletter, it is great. Uh, I have recommended it on my own to my uh, followers, but people need to check that out. Very, very good Vikings writing and other NFL stuff and things that are on your mind as well. So great stuff. Glad we could get together again, man. It's been a little while, um, but uh, I'm happy we could do it. This was fun. Yeah, I loved it. This was a ton of fun. Football. <laughs>